there's definitely, I mean, it's a, it's a very palpable fear of approaching, like just when I would travel to Europe and like the reactions, the bad reactions are, are 10 times worse in the U S they're almost never would I ever get a bad reaction because the way I'm approaching is basically like, Hey, I saw you, uh, I had to risk embarrassing myself to come meet you, you know, straightforward, no bullshit, you know, think you're beautiful. I had to talk to you. Welcome back to another episode. I am excited to have with me today, Robbie Kramer, dating coach and founder of Inner Confidence and also a world traveler. And one of the things we're going to be talking about today is cross-cultural dating. And when we hear that term, we probably think mostly of geography, but we'll get into what else that can mean. Um, So yeah, so I would love to hear just to start how you ended up being a world traveler and what it was like for you dating for the first time, not in your native country of the USA. Good question. I have to remember back. Um, You know, I started traveling kind of back with my family when we, I think I was in my early 20s. Um, We have a big family, so we would take these family cruises with our cousins. And um, we were lucky enough to go like all over Europe, different places, and we'd stop in, you know, cities for a day. So it's it's not the best way to travel, but it was fun with the big group and with your family. Um, but that was my first sort of experience with dating outside the U.S. Because um, you'd meet all sorts of families from different European cultures or Asian cultures, wherever, on these international cruises. So there'd not only be the girls on the cruises that I was trying to get with, but also sometimes, you know, you'd meet girls in port. And um, it was, yeah, I mean, I was a humongous failure, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> as I was with all, all of dating in my uh, early 20s. So nothing really changed about that. <laughs> but I was even kind of more stumped on what I should be doing and not doing. Um, it wasn't until... I became a digital nomad, I think in around 2013, um, after traveling around Europe for the summer of 2012, um, that was, and then after becoming a digital nomad, but 2012 was kind of the first time me and a buddy rented a car in, in Barcelona and drove all the way to Budapest and back did a loop of almost every country in Europe. Um, and our only intention was to basically hook up and, um, we had a lot of fun. Uh, I finally had some success. Uh, it came after, you know, basically I lost a bunch of weight. So that was helpful. Um, looked a lot better than I had before. And I really got over kind of my fear of rejection. And on that trip, I must've, you know, approached just about every girl I saw (laughs) in, in these different European cities, whether they were on bikes or walking around or what have you is, uh, going out all day and all night, um, just to basically, you know, have fun and, and have a cool summer. So it was, it was very interesting traveling around Europe and going from Western Europe to Eastern Europe to see the difference in dating cultures from some backgrounds that are more religious, 
uh, other cultures that are very not religious and, and a lot more kind of, um, you know, the further East you go, the poorer the countries get. So that kind of changes the dating culture. And um, yeah, I've got tons of stories to share. Then I went down to South America and, and kind of checked out that region. Um, so basically since 2013, I was a digital nomad living all over. And then in 2018, I moved to Kiev, Ukraine. And um, I've been here for three years. Uh, and uh, now I'm engaged. I have a fiance. Um, so I've kind of hung up my, my dating hat, <laughs> if you will. Um, but it's, it's definitely a challenge sometimes dating, obviously someone from a different culture, but it has its huge pros and cons as well. So it's, is uh, your, is your fiance Ukrainian then? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, first of all, I, I loved your story of just like, nothing was working. Wasn't working with American women. Wasn't working with European women. <laughs> I'm sure people are going to want to know how did you overcome that fear of rejection. You know, you mentioned just going on a trip and approaching a ton of women with your friend. And that was sort of the intention of the trip. Was that the trip where you were overcoming your fear of rejection? Was it like, okay, I'm going to do this. This is like boot camp, Or do you feel like you had already? Well, you know, it, it started, how did you do that? Yeah, it started way back. And actually, I think around 2006, 2007, I had just kind of graduated from university. Um, you know, 22, 23 years old, I got my first job um, working in a, in a private equity firm. And it was a horrible job, basically had to be there at nine, left it never. Um, that, that was the hours, according to my boss. And it gained a bunch of weight sitting in an office. Um, and, you know, I, I, that's when I, I read that book called The Game, which I'm sure you've heard of. And I was introduced to all this PUA garbage. Um, I call it garbage because a lot of it is just horrible, horrible garbage is, you know, it's tricks and tactics to try to get women into bed. Doesn't work. You're basically putting whipped cream on shit, which is, you know, you've got this unconfident, nervous, um, you know, guy who's clueless and you're giving him some lines and some tactics to go out and use. And it just, you know, it, it's, it's good in one sense because it gives you exposure, but it's, um, it's very toxic and bad and can lead to some really horrible mindsets. So yes. and for those that don't know, PUA stands for pickup artist. Yes. Um, so the, uh, that was kind of my intro to personal growth, which up until that time, I had no sort of awareness of how I was, you know, I wasn't even really thinking about how I was coming across. I was just kind of, you know, living my life or whatever. Um, so that awareness was, was a, a great first step because I, I started to actually think about, okay, how do I come across in conversation? What, you know, how, how do people respond to me? So I was lucky that I always had a lot of friends and I was kind of an easy guy to get along with. And I never had any trouble there, but I was always kind of the guy in the friend zone. And um, as I mentioned, I was a little bit overweight and I had some issues around that. Um, I always thought that, oh, no girl who I'm interested in is really going to like me because I'm, you know, fat or and I wasn't even that fat. I was just a little bit chubby, you know, but it was a huge sort of um, just issue for me. And um what, what really helped me get over all that was first just facing my fear of rejection, just going out and first doing some social freedom exercises to get out of my head, you know, talking to a hundred people in less than like a couple hours was one doing stupid stuff, like just lying down on a sidewalk in a busy area, pretending you're dead, 
um, until it gets too intense to, <laughs> to lie there anymore. Just doing things, you know, asking for discounts at, at McDonald's or somewhere where you're not going to get it. Just doing stupid things in public to desensitize yourself. So that's kind of what I started doing. Um, and then I just went out and I approached women mostly during the day without alcohol um, to get over the fear of rejection. When, and that is an amazing process because it, it forces you to look at you know, how you're operating, how you're behaving, how you're coming across. Um, and it also, you know, it, it can lead to getting dates as well. I think it's the, the best way for a guy who's really struggling and who's not having any success using online dating, which is very difficult to not only improve his confidence, but also go out there and get some dates and some experience. So I started doing that basically in 2007. And then in 2012, I'd already been working as like a dating coach and um, was just kind of learning as I went, but 2012 was the first time I really like traveled and, and, uh, for lack of a better word, took my game on the road, you could say, <laughs> so, um, but it, it was that summer was really kind of like a turning point because of all the experience I got and just the understanding the differences of, in culture was a huge shift. Um, and it made my interactions better with American women, um, and made me appreciate American women a lot more. Um, it was it was just a very cool experience where I did nothing but focus on my on my dating life. So yeah, to be can able you to- say a little about that that part of the what was what helped you shift in terms of recognizing the difference between cultures? Was it kind of taking attention off yourself? Like this is about more than just me. This is about where where a person comes from, or or what was the difference there? Yeah, I noticed like the conversations went a lot differently. Um, you know, the first thing I was living in New York at the time before I, uh, went on the trip and I was kind of living in New York half the time, LA half the time, but doing a ton of dating in New York city. Cause New York city is like Mecca for dates. You know, there's, especially in the winter, it's cold. There's nothing to do. You, you go on dates. And, um, at the time, 2012, it was very easy to get dates on Tinder. Um, and, Every time I would, you know, talk to a girl or in a bar or whatever, it was always like, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? That was kind of always the first question. And when in Europe, it was more like, where have you been? Um, that could obviously be kind of part because I was a foreigner. Um, but people were a lot more interested in sort of like, instead of the, what do you do conversation or where's your life going? It was more like, what's your cultural background or what's your experience like? And it was, it was a really interesting shift because that's, and it's not just with dating. I think that's kind of a big trend when it comes to like the European culture versus the American culture. American culture is very much like, you know, make money or die trying sort of thing, be busy, get to work. Whereas Europeans more like, Oh, let's take a nap in the middle of the day and, and chill out. So that was kind of the first thing like a big shift that I noticed. It was, it was way less focused on like, what are you doing with your life sort of thing? That's a great point. I've lived abroad extensively, including Barcelona. And that was one of the things I remember noting was how much calmer their television watching is. And what I mean by that is they have way fewer commercial breaks and the commercials that do come on aren't as frenetic. There's not as much 
just motion, noise, lights, things happening. It's just so much more intensive watching TV in North America. I'm imagining Canada is much the same as, as the States. Whereas in Barcelona, in, in Spain, it was because I remember watching a football game, a, a soccer game for like 30 minutes, 30 minutes straight and thinking to myself, this would never happen in North America. There would never be a 30 minute stretch of we're just doing this one thing. We're focused on one thing. And then the commercials were like for yogurt and you know, just <laughs> really just peaceful stuff. And in mm-hmm. the States, it's like, here's this show about guns and violence. And here's this show about guns and violence. And here's this movie about guns and violence. And I, I was just blown away by the contrast between those. And I, and it felt kind of reflective of the culture overall that there, there, there's a harshness, I think, to North American culture, especially the U.S., that feels different. It, it somehow feels the word smoother is coming to mind in Europe. It felt a bit smoother and not as hectic and intense and driven. And like you said, you know, what are you doing with your life right now? And where are you going with your life? What are your goals? What are your intentions? What's your five-year plan? It's, it's very sort of driven. Um, right. This is like, where have you been? What have you been doing? How are you today? How many you know, countries have you traveled to? What's yeah. your favorite food? <laughs> yeah, Americans are, you know, the world kind of sees us as like entertainment junkies, which I have to agree with like Americans, we love to be entertained. And if we're not constantly entertained, we're bored and we need like constant stimulation, you know? Um, and Europeans are, you know, <laughs> they don't have that same sort of like, a, you know, like drive or desire for, for that, you know, fast paced gratification. So you see yeah. that. I'm over, curious but, yeah. how, how that, you know, you mentioned the, the conversations were different with, women in Europe. What else was different in terms of, especially you mentioned moving from West to East mm-hmm. and the sort of um, poorer countries that the dating culture was different. And um, yeah, I just wondering what you noticed in terms of relating with women, you know, going from West to East. Yeah. I can kind of go by country to country and, and try to remember some of the, the things that stood out. So we started in Spain, um, Barcelona and it was very difficult. Um, Spanish guys are very confident. They typically, you know, it's the culture. You kind of have that. Some of the, it's the Spanish, Italian, I think Spanish men and Italian men, um, they, they have a, a kind of culture where men, masculinity is kind of celebrated. You know, they live with their moms for many, many years. And that's totally normal for like a 35 or 40 year old unmarried guy to live with their mom. And it's not considered, you know, like he's a loser or not accomplished. It's just, you know, until, until you're engaged, you live with your mom. Um, and the, you know, the, the men are, the men are allowed to be beautiful and kind of flamboyant and it's not considered, you know, gay or weird when they're like that. And so they're, they're more into fashion. They're more kind of into, they're more in touch with their feminine side, you could say. So the um, and, and they're very aggressive and they're very forward with their sexuality there. So, you know, if they see a beautiful girl, they'll just be like, oh, my God, blah, blah, blah. you know, you kind of see like that Pippi Le Pew sort of French uh, <laughs> sort of mentality, a little bit France as well. But, you know, when I was in these Western European countries like Italy, France um, and Spain, it was very difficult. The, the local girls there just didn't really seem very interested in American guys, um, or at least me and my buddy. And, um, you know, we didn't have any particular sort of success there. It's not like, you know, we 
went out partied and it was fine. But the, um, then we kind of moved up to Germany, um, Holland. And there I found that when I approached women, they were, they were very sort of like kind of business-like, but also very interested. It's kind of like the, the German efficiency thing, you know, the Germans are very, it was like, I'd approach them. They're like, okay. And what time are we meeting? We're going on a date. I'll be there. Always, always on time. Uh, <laughs> not flaky at all. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was kind of a, a cool sort of change in perspective, um, to be in Germany. And, uh, and then we were down in Budapest and that was kind of when we started to see the, a, a big shift with some of the Hungarian girls. Um, and also Budapest is a very international city. Um, you have tons, there's tons of Erasmus programs there and a lot of study yeah. abroad people. Yeah, just So mm-hmm. for the North American listeners, Erasmus is the a big student exchange program that functions all over Europe and the UK. So students are exchanging between universities all throughout the EU and sometimes even beyond the EU. And it's their big Erasmus cities have people from all over yeah. the continent and the UK. And um, for whatever reason, Budapest was just such a cool city because you had, you had kind of the Western influence, but you also had the Eastern influence. Um, and it was a party city, you know, there's different, there's these bars and pubs that stay open all night. Um, very affordable back in 2012. It's, it's become a little bit more expensive now, but, um, and this was before it was kind of overrun by, by British bachelor parties or stag parties, they call them. So (laughs) they have a lot of these Eastern European cities that have very cheap flights for, from England in the UK, like $7 round trip on Ryanair back in the day. So you get these stag parties coming in, you know, they dress up like dicks and walk around and like just totally terrorize all the women. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit of a, some of these Eastern cities, you had a tougher time with having, being an English speaker. Cause they'd immediately think you're just some drunk hooligan, uh, you know, soccer hooligan there on a bachelor party. Um, but that it was, it was interesting dating in Budapest because there was also the sort of scam artist people around, you know, I, I took a girl on a date and she suggested we go to a certain bar, went to the bar, ordered, I think a couple rounds of drinks and the bill was like $150. And I was like, this doesn't seem Right. And they're like, either pay or we throw you in the Danube. <laughs> like, okay. So that was, <laughs> I'll be paying now. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, it's definitely not dangerous in any of these cities. I think they're way more safe than most American cities, but there are some sort of dating related, you know, scams out there. Um, there's a lot of scams here in Ukraine where women will take you to certain restaurants and they'll get cash back. Um, and so they will be like professional daters and, and that's simply due to a lack of, of high paying jobs, you know, the poverty. Average, yeah, poverty. poverty, exactly. Um, and that's how they make their money. They're, they're, you know, cute girls, they go on Tinder, they get a date every night, um, takes them to dinner and they make, you know, 20% of the bill. 
which is better salary than being like an attorney here, which is, you know, sad and, and kind of fucked up, but that's, that's the reality of the situation. Um, so you, you know, you kind of see that in poor areas, you get a little bit of the novelty factor being an American when you go to places where Americans are kind of scared to go. Um, you know, there's a little bit of that in 2012, back in Budapest. Then we went down into Croatia and, um, there was, there was more of that as well. Cause you're closer, you know, you're closer to, uh, Sarajevo and Bosnia and you have that sort of cultural interest, you know, people are always interested in Americans a lot of the time because we come in and we create chaos with our military and then kind of just leave. <laughs> and, and for whatever reason, most of them don't dislike Americans. I think Europeans are, are very sort of savvy and smart when they realize just because the American military and the, the people in charge are kind of like these bullies, it doesn't mean that all the tourists are. Um, and so I was, I was always, you know, I didn't, I never dealt with any sort of anger or hatred or, or I don't know what you would call that towards, you know, towards me because I was American. It was always just a lot of interest, um, in, Oh, wow. You're from America. We, we grew up with American culture because American culture is kind of, you know, it's, we're the leaders of culture, you could say, and it, it just gets, you know, Extorted. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's like barreled out into all the other countries. So, you know, going to Russia and Ukraine, like they grow up with American culture. So they're obviously fascinated by it. And if you're American, they're fascinated to, they're like, wow, you're from LA. I've only seen it in TV or, you know, have you been to Disneyland? Oh my God. Like it's such a, an interesting thing for them to, you know, cause they don't meet very many Americans out here. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious in, it sounds like these were all short-term dating encounters. You weren't really staying and you weren't, you know, with a woman for an extended period of time during this trip. Um, and, and I'm wondering in that, you know, in that kind of setup, talk about sex. What was, was there a difference in people's sexual availability or attitudes between say Western Europe, Eastern Europe. I don't know if you dated any British girls while you were abroad, but I'm curious, like what was your experience in terms of sex at that time and, you know, difference wise. Yeah. So in Germany, it was interesting. I had one girl who I met, I met her during the day. We went on a couple dates and I was staying in, it was like a, a decent hostel, but me and my buddy were sharing the room. So I didn't want to take her back to the hostel, but I, you know, I couldn't go to her place either because it was like, she lived with her parents. I think she was, you know, maybe 21 or something. Um, and it was, I think our third date. And, um, I figured, Oh, I'm just going to get a hotel room and see if she goes for it. And she totally, just was like, okay. And went up and then we, we hooked up and I was sort of all ready to deal with the resistance that I would typically get from like an American girl, like, Oh, we can't go to your hotel room or blah, blah, blah. And then eventually they, they do, but there was no sort of, it was very, just kind of like German business. Like <laughs> and that happened twice. Um, once in, in Hamburg, uh, and once in, uh, in Berlin, um, this other girl in Hamburg, I think she, 
she told me she, her, her boyfriend was out of town or something. So she gave me a blowjob, but she's like, Oh, he's probably doing something with some other girl. So I'll just, you know, give you a blowjob. Okay. And, and she was just very like matter of fact about it and open about it. So the, the sort of like the openness and the willing to kind of almost take responsibility for sex. Like it's something that, you know, girls can do too was a bit different than what I'd experienced with American women where it's like, Oh, you know, I'm going up to his place because he wanted to show me his dog. I'm not going up to fuck, but we both know we're going up to fuck, but we're really saying it's about the dog. You know, there's this code that, that American girls tend to speak in or Western girls tend to speak in, which wasn't really important that I noticed um, with some of these other cultures. So it was more like just, a, a more honest approach, which I found refreshing and and cool because we didn't have to play like the, you know, let's talk, let's kind of talk in code sort of thing. And that can be a really t- difficult thing for, for guys to figure out. It is all that code, you know, especially for the sort of guys I typically work with, which are um, more tech related guys and in, in tech field. And they're like, they just don't understand that. Like, why can't I just invite her to my hotel? I'm like, cause she's not going to go. Cause you're making her responsible for sex. She's going to say no. But if you, you know, ask her to come and give you an opinion on her, on your shirt, <laughs> she'll likely say, okay, sure. And then come up and you both know you're probably going to hook up anyways. So that was, that was a pretty radical difference. Um, let me see. So then, but with the, okay, well, so I want to, I want to comment on that too, because I think that that's a really good example of, <laughs> my I've lived abroad extensively as well. And one of the things that I think Americans don't always realize is how sexually repressed we are as a culture and how um, just twisted up everything gets, because there's this thing in American culture where everything is hypersexualized, but there's also a thing of for women, if I'm going to be the good girl, if I, if I'm going to be in this box, right, because we, grow up being scared of being labeled sluts. And right. so and that's real. It's a real fear. It's still a real fear. We're not past this. And it's so like the, the worst thing you could call someone is, is it's a the slut. worst thing you call a woman. Yes. Right. Right. And it's, and it's this very weird dichotomy because as a woman, you're taught you should be good at sex. You should be sexy, but you shouldn't really fuck. So there's this like bizarre mind fuck of like, how do I do that? Like, I don't understand how, so I'm supposed to sort of pretend I don't want sex, but mm-hmm. also be good at it and be sexy. And right. I think it, it becomes very difficult to figure out and it's not conscious. No one's really talking about it openly, but you pick it up, you pick it up in middle school, you pick it up in high school, you pick it up in college. And so that, that dance of, well, I'm not going to his hotel room to fuck. I'm going to look at his art is- right there's a way I'm, I'm justifying to myself. I'm still the good girl. I'm still, I still, I'm still holding on to the identity of I'm a good woman. I'm a good girl. And that sort of, you know, Puritan frame that the United States was founded on at least, I think extends into our current day, but we're not, we don't realize it. And there's so much sexuality in our music, our, our films, oh, it's, it's our everything it's that like, it's a very confusing experience for, yeah. for women, at least to figure out like, how do I maintain my good girl status or whatever, which extends to, I still want your respect, right? Mm-hmm. I, I want your respect. And I remember, um, hooking up with a guy in, in the States, he was Canadian actually. And I, I wasn't that attracted to him. 
it was, it was fine, but I wasn't that attracted to him. I knew he was more into me than I was into him. And we were making out, I remember on a, on a couch and he said something like, should we go up to your room or something? I don't remember what happened. And I said, no, like, also, I don't really know you. <laughs> like, I don't really oh. know you yet. Right. I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to have sex with you tonight. I don't really know you. And literally the next day he was talking to my housemate friend, my woman friend. And he was like, Melanie's such a lady. She's a lady. And I was like, perfect. Madonna horror complex right there laid out for everyone to see. This woman refused to have sex with me. Therefore, I think of her as a lady. It's still happening on both sides. There's and and we're and we're trying to undo it. Everyone's trying to undo it, but that mentality is still alive of oh, she waited, therefore she's a lady. And in my head, I was thinking, honestly, if I was more turned on by what you were doing, I probably would have had sex with you last night. Totally. But right? I didn't tell you that. I didn't tell you that. And it's true at the time I was like, I don't want to fuck people. I don't know. I want to know someone at least fucking a little bit. So it wasn't all that, but it was definitely like, yeah, I'm not really a lady and I'm a fucking lady. Yeah. I'm a lady who fucks like that's, you know, we can, that can happen. But mentality wise, I think we're kind of behind in some ways. And, um, it's funny, you know, you mentioned Germany and I've, I've talked to multiple people who, are sort of appalled at our lack of sex education when they kind of grasp how, how poor it is, because mm-hmm. I think that the, the culture is just more open and forthright in other, in other countries. So that because adults are talking about sex all the time, it's not this taboo subject. It's just sort of, this is something that's part of our lives <laughs> instead of this right. is something we never, ever talk about. And if we do, everyone freaks out and their whole body contracts and, dinner table conversation stops, right? It's not the the same, the same thing. So, um, cool. All right. So that was Germany. And then did you find the same thing in Eastern Europe as well? And then I'd love if you could also touch on South America. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, the way you put it, um, it's so cool to hear your perspective, you know, woman's perspective on this stuff. Um, and the story you tell, you told about, you know, being a lady, it's like, well, if you were more attracted you probably would have just gone for it. But the fact that you weren't super attractive was like, well, I don't really know this guy. I should get to know him. You know, so it's all, there's all these sort of thoughts and, and, you know, we're, we're being pulled in different directions. Right. And um, it's, it's such a fucked up culture in the U S from a sexual level, as you, as you said, and I can't imagine, you know, it's hard enough being a guy, but I think it's much worse <laughs> being, being a, a girl and growing up and being like, I'm supposed to be sexy, but hot, but not it's, it's, you know, it's, it's certainly hard for us guys to navigate it. And that's a function because it's so difficult for, for women to, to kind of exist within that framework. Um, so yeah, in Europe, they're, they're just, they don't have all that bullshit when it comes to sex, or at least a lot of European countries. Um, where, you know, Puritans didn't found. So moving on Budapest, um, well, before Budapest was Prague and in Prague, I hooked up with this French girl who was on a uh, study abroad Erasmus program. And it was really interesting because she was just so fucking French. Like when you think of a French person, like, you know, eating a croissant and speaking very softly. Like, she's like, Robbie, make love to me. Like, all of the, like, stereotypical French stuff is just like, but it was amazing. Like, you know, you, it was such a cool experience because she was so French. 
And everything about it was just like, I was in a French romance novel and we just like had sex all day in this hotel room and all night. And it was just like one like sexy, like French saying after the next. So, (laughs) and then we ended up, we ended up talking like for almost a year when I wasn't there and my plans were to come back the next summer and like rekindle this, you know, romance that had been going on. And then she got a boyfriend literally like two weeks before I came back. Um, so that was, <laughs> I like planned a, a bunch of the trip kind of around that. Um, and uh, I found that that would happen a lot of times with European women. It's like they were, I don't know, it's tough to describe, but they're, I don't know if this was even really a difference, but I kept kind of running into these situations where hook up with a girl and then it would be awesome. And then they would kind of go back to these boyfriend guys, but then wanted to cheat on the boyfriend guys when I came back into town. Cause what I, what I kept doing was I'd, I'd spend every Europe, every summer in Europe. So go in, you know, have these short, you know, casual encounters, but then I'd come back. So I kind of had this like, you know, summer fling that would last multiple years. Um, and even in Budapest, I, one time I brought my girlfriend who was American back and we had threesomes with like three of the girls that I had hooked up with the summer before in Budapest. Um, and two of them had boyfriends and they were very happy to, to hook up anyways. So the, the sort of the boyfriend thing I, I feel is, is less of a, <laughs> They're more apt to cheat, I guess, um, is what I've found with, with the European cultures. It's like, oh, we have a boyfriend and we're going to pretend like that matters. But then when push comes to shove, he's probably off fucking someone. So I'm going to as well. And you, I just didn't experience that much cheating when I lived in the U.S. I don't know if, if you have any thoughts yeah, on well, that. That's interesting because it it sounds a little bit like an unspoken agreement, what yeah. you're describing of, well, my boyfriend's probably doing this too. So I'm going to, and, and so it's, it's not an open relationship because you're not talking about it and you don't have explicit agreements and you're not having the difficult conversations and you're not really doing it, but there's a gray zone there between sort of, you know, puritanical, rigid, binary, it's either this or that. And then open relationship, there's the gray zone in the middle, which is, ah, he's probably doing it. I'm doing it. It's sort of understood. Right. Don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. A little bit like that. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't run into that when I was dating in Europe um, at all, but I believe you, you know, I mean, that makes makes a certain amount of sense. And I definitely don't run into that in North America. Um, I did also want to say that I dated in Europe for a couple years. And one thing that I, I did notice was I think there was less sexual shame on the part of men in Europe, but there was still sexual shame in the part mm-hmm. of men in Europe. For example, I slept with an, an Italian guy for a while and he was from Southern Italy, which is heavily religious. I think mm-hmm. a lot of Italy is religious, but he was from, yeah, just a, a town and a, a city that was a little bit more conservative uh, religiously. And so he was, um, he was forward and he came towards me. And that was the main difference I experienced as a woman was 
European men were more apt to come towards me. They were more apt to approach me. They were more, they, they held less shame around pursuing me. Um, and there was still shame. There was still shame. So, you know, he and I slept together and, but like, he wouldn't do anything until like the lights were off. And it it was just like, I was like, oh, there's, there's some stuff here. (laughs) And we even talked about it. We talked about religion and specifically Christianity. And there was another guy who was Swiss who, um, I could just tell was sort of like, I think he'd been in a relationship where there was very little sex. And then, you know, we were having sex and he was, you know, he could get it up sometimes, you know, in certain ways and then not in other ways. And I can't describe it in words, but I could just sort of feel his tightness around mm-hmm. sex, yeah. just like the, uh, like the clenching, crunching physiology that we get when there's shame involved or guilt involved. And so I just wanted to sort of say, it's not that we're saying in this discussion, like all Europeans are these, you know, open-minded, <laughs> incredible, you know, there's shame everywhere. And I've definitely experienced it firsthand. And on a scale of zero to 10, it's less. It, my experience was it's far less in, in Europe. And there was much more, more men would approach me. I felt more attractive. I felt more approachable in Europe. And it felt like there was less, there was less shaming of, there was less shaming of men for approaching. I guess that's kind of what I want to say. Yes. Cause I know a lot of my male clients, there's such, there's so much fear in North America around I'm afraid she'll throw her, her glass in my face or her drink in my face. I'm afraid I'll be labeled a pervert. I'm afraid I'll be seen as a sexual deviant. I'm afraid that I'll be shamed. Right. And that, that particular flavor of you're disgusting because you're a man and you're sexual, that feels missing or different in Europe. It's like, oh, you're a man and you're sexual. That's sort of part of life. Whereas in North America, it's just, it's hard to put your finger on, but it's like, yeah, there is this fear of approaching or being forward because I'm afraid as a man, I'll be labeled as bad. There's definitely, I mean, it's a, it's a very palpable fear of approaching. Like just when I would travel to Europe and like the reactions, the bad reactions are, are 10 times worse in the U S they're, almost never would I ever get a bad reaction because the way I'm approaching is basically like, Hey, I saw you, I uh, had to risk embarrassing myself to come meet you, you know, the straightforward, no bullshit, you know, think you're beautiful. had to talk to you sort of stuff. So you're never going to get a bad reaction from that. Um, but the, the bad ones are worse in the U S because there's, you know, there's, I don't know, there's more of this like attack mentality. Um, and men are definitely more afraid to do it in the U S and, um, th- and that's kind of what I, what I noticed, when I went even further east. So Belgrade, Serbia was really interesting because that was the first city that I went to where I was like, holy shit, these women are almost all like, not only are they beautiful, but they're taking the, the amount of care they're putting into their appearance. It's like they they leave the house dressed up like they're you know gonna be on TV, right? Hair perfect, makeup perfect, everything perfect. Um, and then the guys are just total slobs. Like the exact opposite, like wearing fanny packs, fat jean shorts, haven't fucking looked at their hair. And due to, I don't know what, um, either a lot of the guys are, were killed in wars and there's the huge population difference. It's just like, it's a men's dating paradise over in Eastern Europe because you have these beautiful women who take such good care of yourselves. And then there's no competition because all the guys are, 
at least then now it's, it's a little bit better, but it was, it was shocking to see, like, you know, you'd see a girl, you'd label a 10 with a guy, you'd label a three and that you just don't see that in the U S you know, you see couples who are like pretty even most of the time. Right. And so that was a total culture shock for me. And I think a lot of that had to do with the amount of poverty. Um, and it was totally okay. in some of these former Soviet countries for women to openly have a sponsor, uh, a sugar daddy for, you know, another term for that, have a boyfriend, a husband and a sponsor and to be open and sort of like honest about that, which you would never see in Western Europe or the U S or probably most places. It's like, well, I have my sponsor cause I need to pay rent and my husband, you know, I love him. And then I have my boyfriend who's this young guy who fucks me really good. <laughs> so it was like totally shocking to, to see that. And then it was kind of a cool experience. I'm like, well, I can kind of be all three, you know, if, if you try to like be all three, you actually can. And that's, that's kind of a cool, I don't know, like goal to, to, to realize that as a man, you can be all three and you can kind of be that, that, uh, unicorn in a sense, um, when you're dating over here in Eastern Europe. So, I mean, I could go into it way more, but that was, that was kind of the big culture shock was the openness towards, you know, sex as a currency. Um, we're okay with that. I can use my sexuality to get ahead and I don't even have to hide that. Um, and at the same time, like, you know, th there didn't seem a lot of shame to be a lot of shame. There'd be a shitload of shame for anyone using, you know, doing anything or using sex for, for money or prostitution or, or sugar daddies and stuff. Like it's get, I feel like it's getting less and less with sites like seeking becoming more mainstream and just our culture kind of moving towards, you know, only fans, everyone's an only fans, uh, you know, porn star now. And, and that's cool. Right. Um, but this was happening like totally as the norm when I got into the former Soviet countries. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause it, it does feel like, you know, sex work has been around since humans have been around. And I do think that it's another layer of, we don't actually have to hold all the shame around this that we do, but that's, it is a cultural thing. It doesn't need to, it doesn't need to be this way. It could be another way and it could be open and known and free. Yeah. And um, I'm curious, especially, you know, that experience, how did, 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 all of this shape your own sexuality. Do you feel like you experienced more freedom in your own, you know, view of yourself as a sexual being or all of that starting as a North American man coming to Europe and then, and then South America, do you feel like it helped open things up for you? Like how did it affect you personally in your sexuality? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I'm lucky to come from a very sort of um, accepting family. Um, we never really talked about sex. Um, my parents had like the birds and bees conversation with me when I was maybe like 16 and like, basically don't get a girl pregnant. Like that was like, but it was very much like, you know, it just wasn't discussed. And, um, and, you know, I had this sort of upbringing of, you know, not, not getting laid. I was always in the friend zone. And then finally, when I kind of came into myself and became more attractive and started to have options, um, I, I basically just went crazy. And I was, you know, of, I was a man whore for a long time and a proud one, of course. <laughs> um, 
And I didn't really experience a whole lot of shame around that. And then when I went to Europe and where it was even more sort of okay, and I wasn't at home and there was no one judging me um, for anything, it really just allowed me to be like, this is who I am. Uh, I'm, I have a, you know, maybe it's an unhealthy sex drive. Maybe I'm a sex addict, nothing like, you know, all those sort of things, but I'm like, whatever it, it's, it's who I am and I'm okay with it. Um, and, uh, back home because I was just kind of so okay with it, I, I kind of felt like the people I would date or the people around me just also were kind of opened up, became more comfortable with sex. Um, I've had so many people kind of tell me like, wow, you made me become really comfortable with my sexuality or with sex just because you didn't really care and you didn't judge me. You didn't care if people judged you. And, um, you know, I, I, I think a lot of that was just, we have experiences and if they're bad experiences, we kind of shut down, but if we have good experiences, obviously we open up. So I think a lot of it was just kind of luck to have a lot of good experiences, um, and to be around, I was hung around people that were very kind of sexually open. And then after a lot of my travels, I came back to the U.S. and I got involved with like the swingers community and the lifestyle people. And that's just like the most open sort of sexual community you can kind of find because everyone's fucking everyone's girlfriends and wives and and this and that. And, you know, you're you're just kind of out there doing your thing. <laughs> and um, that's, that's just the life you live. And you end up hanging out around with people who are like that. Then you kind of forget that there's, oh, there's some people out there that aren't like the sexual, like, oh, I'm not allowed to fuck your, your buddy's girlfriend. They're like they're, they wouldn't like that. <laughs> so you, can, you, can, you know, you can take it a little too far sometimes. Um, but yeah, that was my experience. And what about South America? Did you find that it was dramatically different? Where did you go? And what was that like? So South America, I was in Brazil, um, Rio de Janeiro and Florianopolis. Um, and what I found was really interesting there is the makeout culture. Like you can make out with someone within like, it's the same as like shaking their hand. Um, <laughs> it's like, Oh, Hey, you're hot. Let's make out. Like, obviously you don't say that, but <laughs> it's basically like high make out, especially the fact that like, it's such a party culture. I was there during carnival and, and new year's, which is definitely the more of the party thing, but like Brazil is they're just very, very comfortable with, with, um, personal space and, and like touching and, and physical stuff. Like everyone's just more touchy feely there. And that just leads to, you know, faster sort of seductions and faster sort of connections. Now they won't necessarily have sex with you faster, but they will make out very quickly in Brazil. Um, and then uh, <laughs> I and then spent a little bit of time in Colombia, um, kind of found the same thing um, to be true there. Um, it was just a, a, people are just a lot more touchy feely. Like in the U.S., you know, it, it's sometimes you'll you go out on a date and you know you'll you'll touch her and she'll give you this look like you know why are you trying to hold my hand or or like even not a look but just you kind of feel that like coldness coming off their body um, but you just don't feel that really at all in South America and I think that's just that's just their culture they're very kinesthetic and and huggy and so I don't know, what did you experience down there. Yeah, that's a great question. I lived in Argentina for a while and there was, we, our crew is pretty international. We had some people from Colombia and Peru, some from Bolivia. 
And, um, yeah, it felt more, it felt warmer. That's the word that I would use sort of warmer overall. Although I would say that when I went to, I went to Floripa as well and Rio from Buenos Aires, because they have these long, they call them coaches. So you took a 20 hour bus ride, (laughs) which is a whole other thing. But anyway, I took this really long bus ride to Rio. And what I noticed the most about Rio being a woman was, wow, body positivity. People just didn't give a fuck. Didn't matter what they looked like, their body shape, their body size. They're just like wearing a G-string and they don't give a fuck. They're not kind of looking around like, are people noticing me? Do they see that my belly is too big? You know, what about my ass? Like, I'm sure there were people thinking that, but overall it felt a lot more like just normalized. Like, here's my body. I'm getting a kaipirinha. I don't really care what everyone's thinking about my shape. And there was something freeing about that. You know, they talk about being in a different culture kind of opens your perspective. And it really had me reflect on how obsessed I am with how I look (laughs) like, you know, is my stomach flat enough? Do my boobs look good in this top? Just all of the crowding thoughts. It was sort of freeing to be in a place that was like, well, that woman doesn't give a shit. And like, she, you know, she's not what we would consider an ideal body shape. Cause I think there's a way in North America that, that I, I view um, women, especially if they don't feel like they're good looking enough, they'll cover up. Right. So particularly as women age, right. And middle-aged women, you know, in Rio, everyone's out there on the beach, everyone's at Copacabana and nobody cares. They're all in G strings. There's just a lot more acceptance. Whereas in North America, it feels like if you're a size four and you have a perfect figure, then you might wear a G string. And it's only those people that are wearing G strings. Someone else would never even imagine doing that because she'd feel too embarrassed. She would feel ashamed. She would feel like I'm not good enough. I don't have a good enough body to wear fill in the blank. And it felt to me in Rio, like nobody gave a crap. They were just like, this is what I'm wearing. It's hot out. Like, (laughs) there you go. And that was really freeing. And all again, sort of like, I felt, I think I felt more beautiful there because I did feel like I was approached more. Um, I do, I do have a funny story about dating an Argentinian dude who showed up really late to one of our first dates. Um, I dated him for a while and (laughs) I was, I was very offended. I was very offended. I mean, he was probably like an hour and 10 minutes late. He was exceedingly late. I feel like in the U S you get a grace period of at least 20 minutes, but after 20 minutes, like you're, you're pissed. You're pissed. You're like, ah, we're supposed to meet at one. It's one 30. It's one 45. Is he even coming? I worked myself up into this whole lather. He showed up. I was mad. And then I sort of discovered that that's actually kind of normal there sometimes, especially for social gatherings. And so, and this was a date. It wasn't a social gathering. It was just two of us just sitting there. Yeah. 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 And so, so then it was so sweet though, because I, I, I like, it took me a while to share why I was mad. Then I, I did also, we, we haven't discussed this, but there's usually also a language barrier of some kind. So I'm trying to explain why I'm mad in Spanish and he's trying to understand why I'm mad in Spanish. Right. Cause it's because it's like not the same there. So it's like, I don't, I don't understand. Like I was kind of in the window. Like I think for him, it was like, I was in the window. I was in the acceptable window of time. And for me, I was like, you were so outside the acceptable <laughs> time. And so I finally kind of got it across and he grasped it. 
So for our next, this must be pretty good to to be able to express that. It was it was decent. I was getting there. So uh, so the next time we met, we were like, okay, we're gonna meet at the club, which in Buenos Aires, like clubs don't get going till like three. So we were right. meeting at the club at like one thirty in the morning, and I watched him like rush into the club right on time and like look around wildly to try to find me. And I felt so loved. I was like, wow, this guy really cares. And then his friends came in behind him and they were, you could see they were really annoyed. Like obviously it was way too early to be at the club. They like couldn't understand why the the hell they were there so early, but they like liked their, they wanted to support their friend. And he was like, yeah, my friends didn't want to come or whatever. But I remember feeling like that was a really sweet thing for him to do. It was obviously outside of his norm, but he he had to tell all of his buddies to hurry up. Yeah, exactly. He had to tell all his friends to hurry up. And it was a mixed group, you know, it was girls and guys and, um, but I remember wondering in that moment, like, I wonder what the equivalent would be like, I wonder what the equivalent would be of I thought something was normal and he was mad at me because uh-huh. of something I thought was normal. That would be a very weird experience. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm very interested before we wrap and asking you about your relationship, because now you're with a Ukrainian woman, I would imagine, because when you get into a relationship, then you figure out all these other things, other cultural differences that are can be deeper than just. I'm used to being an hour late for social events and you're not, but I'm wondering like, how was that for you actually doing the relationship thing cross-culturally? Cause I, that's a whole other set of, of things to track. Yeah. So, well, first there's the, the language barrier. She speaks very good English. Um, and I speak very poor Russian, but I'm learning. And, uh, we, we basically only communicate in English unless I'm practicing Russian. Um, but that there's definitely, cause I was living here for about two years before we met and I had other relationships with, um, you know, other Ukrainians and Russians. And I really could, I, I found that if their English level just wasn't up to a certain sufficiency, it just, I couldn't do it. Um, you know, sex, fine, hooking up, fine, casual things, but like you get to a certain level where you just can't communicate and the relationship can't really develop because you just can't express yourself. And like, I had one girl that I dated from Russia and we were probably dating for three or four months and she spoke zero English, zero. And I spoke zero Russian at the time. And we basically communicated through Google translator. Um, and we just didn't do a lot of communication. We did a lot of sex and a lot of partying. Um, but as the, and, and I think that's kind of what ended the relationship is we both kind of knew like, all right, like how are we going to deepen this it's it it's hard enough to deepen a relationship, let alone like we need language <laughs> to, to take it there. So I think, you know, hooking up is fine, but having a relationship with someone who doesn't speak your language at all, it I, I don't know if some people can do that, that's more power to them. But I think it's just very difficult because you can't express yourself. You know, it's hard enough being able to communicate in your own language. So let alone that. The other interest, but, um, you know, and but there's also the, not knowing the language uh, makes fights a little bit, or uh, sorry, not having a perfect command of the language makes fights kind of cute and fun. Um, so, like when you're fighting with someone and they, you know, they, they use like poor English. Um, it allows you to like cool off and, and just be like, Oh, <laughs> this is kind of funny. Uh, and it just, it, 
just kind of removes you. It takes you out of that intensity a little bit. Um, so that's kind of a cool thing. Um, and also the, the culture, like the, the humor is a lot different, like American humor versus Russian Ukrainian humor is completely different. So what I think is funny, um, she usually doesn't think is funny and the stuff that she would think is that she thinks is funny. I can't really understand, or it's just very sort of like dark and dry, like Russian humor is and in Ukraine is very sort of like dark and, uh, and it, it's, it's, it's more intelligent, I think, than American humor. And I just love stupid, like bathroom jokes and just like basic level dumb humor. Um, and so we, a, a lot of the, like, we don't watch a lot of shows together for that sort of reason. Um, so there's these, you know, there's, there's these little nuances, but I feel like at the end of the day, the, the there's a pros list and a cons list and they kind of still just equal out, you know, as long as you can communicate enough um, and, and get your point across, there's kind of the, those benefits in each direction. I like that thing about the fights, because I do think when I'm communicating in a language in which I have less nuance available, I'll just say things like my heart hurts, heart, heart, heart hurts (laughs) (laughs) because I don't know how to say you really hurt my feelings. Mm -hmm. And there's something about my heart hurts. That's more endearing. And I think Ken, like you said, pop you out of the intensity. Is there anything else that you have found surprising in terms of being in a cross-cultural relationship, maybe something with her family or something that you weren't expecting that you sort of discovered as a couple, like, Oh, this is, this is different. This is, you have this other view of this. Well, her family is awesome. Um, it's my mom who's the problem. So my mom has it in her head that, you know, she's watched too much 90 day fiance and every Russian girl wants to come to the U S and they're just trying to get there for the money. And you know, there are these horrible gold diggers and it's like, come on, mom, really, you're, you're going to be this sort of like vehemently opposed because of what you see and, and bullshit reality TV and what your friends who watch too much bullshit reality TV that have nothing to do because, you know, they go to their lunch group. And so it's like my mom is so opposed, um, which is really fucking annoying, of course, because you want <laughs> your mom to be like sort of supporting. Um, so th- there's, there's, I think that maybe plays a role a bit. Um, and I just happen to be on the good side. I feel very bad, um, you know, for, uh, my fiance, cause she's got to deal with, you know, a, uh, a mom who's kind of like that and they haven't even met. So it's, uh, it's just kind of ridiculous. So, you know, other than that, like her side of the family is great. They're, uh, but it, also I I've met them. So here, here in Ukraine. So that makes it easier. I think if once she does meet my mom, she'll win her over and everything will be cool. Yeah. Um, well, I yeah. think that's a great example of prejudice, right? Totally. Someone being prejudged because of what they've consumed in the media without right. actually knowing the, the human being that's right there. And that's, you know, that's got love to give and that's a vulnerable person, right? That's an actual real person versus just this image of whoever on the screen. Yeah. There's also a pretty big age difference, which my mom, I think that might be her bigger issue too. Um, like I'm 39, um, Maria's 22. So there was a 17 year difference, except I'm very immature and she's very mature. 
Um, so in, in, um, in, in many ways, like I, I usually feel like I'm the immature one in the relationship, but my mom, um, just, she's like, no, the brain's not developed until you're 25. And it's just, you know, I don't approve sort of thing. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, there, there's always going to be those prejudices and biases. It's a, it's on, a work in progress, shall we yes, say? Yes. <laughs> Depending well, on how also, much you're, yeah. you're breaking the mold. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a good also example we're not going to get into, but of, you know, cross cultural differences can be geographical in nature or they can just be your family of origin versus my family of origin. Right. Yes. In, my, in the culture of my family, you know, this was things we talked about, or this is the affection that we had between us in public. So, right. and that can make one person feel unloved. If, if I came from a, a very affectionate family and you won't touch me in public because in your family, that was unacceptable. And you were just taught repeatedly that we don't do that. That can lead to friction within the family, within the couple, even if they're from the same geography, right? right. This, this family system is different than this family system. And so I think every couple really is dealing with cross cross-cultural differences. It's just compounded when you're from different actual different geographical cultures and you know backgrounds it kind of I think it's double but I do I do think I don't know I see that repeatedly in my clients of the culture of the culture of the couple the culture of the family all of it coming into into play at the same time so yeah um we're going to start to wrap up but in case people are interested in learning more about you where can they find you and what are you up to yeah, if you can just go over to innerconfidence.com. That's my site. Um, and if you go down there and download the PDF, it's basically how to navigate a perfect first date, regardless of where you live and if it's COVID or not COVID. Um, so I find that that's kind of like the biggest thing that, that guys fuck up, which they don't realize they fuck up, is just how to run a date. And uh, don't just go to a dinner and think you got to handle it because it's a nice place. So if, if you're interested, just go over the site. Uh, I also have a podcast and uh, you'll be coming on that podcast as well. So that's called the Leverage Podcast. And uh, you can find that on my site as well. Awesome. And um, any last pieces of advice if there's a guy out there wondering how he can improve his dating confidence? Um, yeah, you need to you need to approach. There's There's no way to become comfortable with yourself, comfortable with your sexuality, comfortable with the fact that you're a man, you have a desire to fuck and that's okay. Uh, But that's so repressed um, in a lot of cultures. And it's just that fear of rejection keeps guys stuck. And I can't tell you, I, I hear this from every single client after they get out and they approach, they're like, wow, I feel alive. I haven't felt this feeling in God knows how long I actually feel alive. And it's, it's like this cool sort of rite of passage um, that I experienced and that everyone who, who basically does it experiences is getting off the apps. um, Stop just thinking that you're going to meet someone, you know, on a park bench or through your buddy's friend or whatever, like you got to get out and and put some intention and some effort into your dating life. And uh, usually for guys that, that takes a push that takes something. You're not going to just do it on your own. There's too much illogical fear for when you see that beautiful girl to actually go and talk to her. So that's what I help guys with. I help them kind of get past that fear. And then once they do, it's, it's, 
you know, a whole host of other problems, but everything is better. It's high quality problems. So yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I like you that. To, you need to be in control by taking action. Yes. Love yeah. it. Perfect. Hey guys, I mentioned my sex research a few times during this episode and just wanted to remind you that I actually have a streaming course available based on my sex research called Please Her in Bed, A Course for Men Designed by Women. You can find that on my website, melaniecurtain.com under courses. And if you use promo code DEARMEN, that's all one word, DEARMEN, you will get the course dropped from $97 to $69.